the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If a question for the show, shoot me a call, 800-516-1220, or shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. got a couple of emails coming up later in the show. And uh, what's interesting is now I'm starting to see all of these ridiculous 2019 projections, predictions on what's going to happen in the stock market in 2019 are starting to come out. And there's firms that I see, you know, they put past predictions together in it kind of over a 10-year period and show how awful some of them are. Even lists of the best mutual funds to buy now, lists of the best stocks to buy now, and how awful those predictions tend to be. It's kind of like that joke that economists are good at predicting nine out of the last five recessions. It's just people that spend so much time trying to see if their crystal ball is going to work. It's just a waste of time. I mean, I can talk you into both sides. Hey, let me try to talk you into the market is going to rally. And you get a little hint to this today, right? The market's going to be opening nicely because China's following through with some stuff that was talked about back in August in Argentina on an auto tariff cut. So let's say Trump and, and China, they settle their differences and they come to an agreement, much like the USMCA. And that trade issue is settled over. And what if Brexit gets canceled? And they re-vote, and they all realize that we didn't want to do this in the first place. We were just kind of voting to tell you how upset we are. So Brexit's canceled. UK, everybody moves on like nothing happened. And then people start filing their tax return in February and March and realize how much they're getting back on their tax returns when they file. And a lot of people aren't realizing this yet. Most of America is going to greatly benefit from the much, much higher standard deduction. So most people are going from about a married couples going from a twelve thousand to a twenty-four thousand dollar deduction. That means an extra twelve grand for most of America is going to be tax free, plus the fifteen percent bracket became the twelve. It's going to be much, much harder to get AMT hit with AMT taxes. And all of a sudden people have extra money. And all the retailers start doing well in March through April when people file their tax return. Business owners, people that own real estate, a lot of them are going to have a lot more money in their pocket come tax time. People haven't even adjusted their withholding, so they're going to get a lot of their taxes back or owe less than they thought they would. So that helps you know, push off any kind of a potential recession that we have. Um, because the trade war ends and we continue to push forward, the idea and the talks of a recession in 2019, move off to 2020, 2021, allowing a slow increase in interest rates to get back to normal because inflation stays tame because 
global trade helps keep costs down. The U.S. dollar finishes rallying because interest rates are no longer rapidly increasing, or the thought of interest rates going up is causing emerging market money to flow into the U.S. dollar. So the U.S. dollar looks like it's technically topped out because rates aren't going to go way up like people thought. People thought rates would be much higher by now. They're already back down sub 3% on the 10-year Treasury. So that flight into the U.S. dollar ends, and emerging markets begin to rally again because their GDP growth is higher than the U.S., the middle, middle class way bigger than the U.S. in terms of growth, and everything pushes forward, and everybody likes their increase in their portfolios. Sounds pretty viable, right? All right. Well, what about a bad scenario? Well, Trump just can't get his tweeting under control. The trade war continues. Instead of a 2020 recession, we look at a 2019 recession because things just stop. When people are dealing with uncertainty on tariffs and everything else, people hoard cash, growth slows or stops or goes backwards, and we go into a recession. Theresa May loses her job, and we get a hard deal on Brexit. In other words, the Brexit just happens, and there's just a horrible, there's really no deal negotiated, and it creates long-term uncertainty. That causes more money to flow into the U.S. dollar, the dollar increases, and emerging markets continue to have trade issues and issues with currency flowing out, and we slip into a bit of a global recession. And then maybe even the Federal Reserve raises rates two more times while ignoring what's going on with the trade war, and that causes a correction. (laughs) So, I could talk into that one too, right? The the issue is is that something in between is going to end up happening. And and what causes the bigger corrections usually isn't what we're all talking about. It's definitely not what these idiots on on, uh, financial news that sit there and get super excited on a good day in the stock market and super depressed and in panic mode when the market's down 2%. It's just like... I don't know if they're paid to be emotional or if they're truly that emotional when it comes to dealing with investments. But either way, it does way more damage than anything else. So something in between will happen. Um, Minus the trade issues and the tariffs, the global economy is doing really well. But and like I was telling people, people are afraid of so much of, well, I don't want bonds because interest rates are going up, but stocks are scaring me because there's a slowdown because of the trade war. and the Fed are just going to continue and raise interest rates. It doesn't all happen. Like, the Federal Reserve is not going to just ignore what's going on with the bond market, the stock market, and the trade issues. We've already seen softening of the comments, and that's why bonds went up and rates came back down. Because if there's a recession, rates are not going to continue to increase on bonds. In fact, your bonds will go up in value if there is a recession. And if we're going to have one, I just don't know when. If I had talked into one scenario at the beginning that I could clearly see a route where it could push off a recession potential into 2021, just because the comparables would get so tough because we'll be growing so fast in 2019 and 2020, or I could talk you into a recession happening in 2019. Does it really matter? You, you hear people that are trying to sell you software and newsletters um, there's a guy that shows up constantly on Yahoo Finance that has, you know, Stanberry in his name or something like that that I've seen that there's been complaints on. Um, people that are trying to sell you stuff based on fear or greed are going to do you wrong over the long term. T- 
timing the market does not work because there's two things that you have to get right. It's when to get in and when to get out. And for most people, it's first when to get out. I got to get out. I'm, I'm, I'm fearful. Uh, Trump was elected. I don't like Trump. I'm getting out. Okay, when did you get back in? Do you wait two or three years for that 20% correction that happens because of a recession? In the meantime, you live, you missed out on years now worth of dividends and interest on your portfolio that could have been reinvested buying more shares. Now, even a, a client, maybe people get this stuff all the time, but there's a good uh, chart put out by um, Clearnomics. And it talks about, there's all these different things that show you can't really time the market and going in and all out. Now, when I say time the market, I'm talking about all in and all out. There's points in time where you rebalance your portfolio and you peel off the growth that you've had over the previous year. That's called rebalancing. That's called managing your overall risk and your allocation. But going all in and all out is a mistake because it might feel good for a little while, but usually you can't get back in at the right time. And then the market surpasses where you got out and all you did was cost yourself dividends and interest. So talk about some results of timing the market coming back after the break. We'll be right back. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host, Jabber, certified financial planner. Next event that Rob Black and I are doing together is in Palo Alto, January 24th, Retirement Income and Tax Planning Seminar. Um, it'll be up on the site probably by the end of the day. So make sure you just mark that time down. So still finding people that have not adjusted their strategy with the new tax laws. Look, and it, it's, it's interesting because we meet people all the time that come in for a second opinion on their so-called financial plan. And all their financial plan is, is somebody's charging them, you know, one and a half, two percent to invest their accounts for them. And they have no clarity in terms of financial projections, tax planning, where's my money going to come from in retirement, Roth conversion strategies, all the things that can really, truly add value to a retirement plan, where you can save thousands in taxes if you do things the right way, and also make it through difficult market cycles. The investing part is kind of the easier part. Let's talk about investing for a minute. It, it, timing the market is just, it's, you know, I, I've been doing this for 24 years and never met somebody that's successful. What I meet is people all the time that say, yeah, I got out in 2007, but it's now 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and I still haven't got back in. I'm sitting in cash. You cost yourself so much money. Yeah, you might have felt better in 2008 and 9 when everybody else was looking at their portfolios go down, but those people that were not selling. They didn't have to sell to live off of their assets because they were doing things the right way with enough cash on the sidelines in retirement. They were collecting dividends and interest. And if they were still working, they were reinvesting those. So by the time the market recovered in 2013, they had way more shares and they skyrocketed until now and have way, way larger portfolios. So you have to realize what dividends and interest look like in your portfolio. If you have a 401k, just look at one of your statements Two or three pages back, you'll see the dividend reinvestments 
on the plan. And you add that up, and you can clearly see that your portfolio, if it's kind of a balanced portfolio, is yielding close to 3% between dividends from stocks and interest from bonds. So that's a huge part of it. It's typically 40% of your return over time. A little lower lately just because the yield is a little bit lower and the growth has been a bit higher. But over your lifetime, dividends and interest can be about 30 to 40% of your return. So, time in the market, there was a uh, Clearnomics uh, put this art. It's in Standard and Poor's kind of together, but it's a chart that I'm looking at. That a good friend passed along to me, and I've seen just hundreds of different versions of these over the years. But it talks about over the last 25 years. This is an interesting one because it it assumes that somebody pulls their money out and stays out for certain periods of time after a decline of more than 2% in the stock market. So, if you would have invested $1,000 25 years ago and just kept it invested, you'd have $5,690 today. But if you took your money out after a 2% market decline and stayed out for one week each period that you did that. So, you're trying to time the market. Every time the market dipped by more than 2%, you pulled your money out, you stayed out for a week, and then you went back in. Instead of almost $5,700, you'd have about $3,200. If you stayed out for two weeks at a time, you'd only have $2,500. And if you, every time the market dipped 2% or so, and you stayed out for a month, you'd only have $2,100. If every time the market dipped and you stayed out for a full quarter, full three months in the stock market, only about $2,500. And the worst is you stay out for a year at a time. And that's what tends to happen when people pull money out after a stock market decline or a drawdown. They stay out for a good period of time until the news changes and they feel better and their gut feels better. And then they get back in and then they get hit with another correction. Because usually doing investing based on what your gut tells you is about the worst thing you can do. Absolute worst thing you can do. So don't try to time the market. It's it's a mess. Now, you, you got to realize that there were when there's a, a correction. In this case, it's a drawdown. Remember, the market was flat until so we had a you know twenty. This this year's been interesting. First of all, 2017 was really interesting with a positive month every single month. First time I saw that in the stock market. I think it might even be the first in stock market history. The market was positive every single month. We had a quick drawdown and a, and a really quick rally back. And then 2018, the market rallied was like 7% in the first week or two, and then drawed, fell back down 10%. So it was only negative around 3% or so back in January, February timeframe. And then it was kind of flatlined until end of May, rallied up until the end of until August for no, for no other reason besides fear of missing out, people getting in late, and trade wars going to be over, and it, stocks rallied, small cap stocks were up like 14%, and everything just fell back down to earth, and now it's slightly negative. So it's not even really going to go into the books, likely, as a major negative year if we get any kind of year-end rally in the stock market. So, you'll forget about this, but you know what you're looking at now is, hey, these are my statements that I received in October versus now. It's kind of painful. It's because it went way up. Now, when you have S&P 500 corrections of you know somewhere between the 10 to less than 20 so like 10 to 19% range um, the time the average time of those corrections is 121 days all right the average drawdown is about 12 and a half percent so I'm not talking about the the you know seven to ten big twenty percent plus corrections that we've had over the last you know hundred years or so. I'm talking about the typical, the very common every five to seven year 
uh, in some cases every three to five year, 10 to 19% drawdowns from the peak. So the market rallies up and falls back down. These tend to last on average about 120 days before you get back to where the market was. So you could expect that the market could falter around a little bit, deal with these trade issues, deal with what's going on with interest rates, and then eventually rally back up. But you're talking about potentially 121 days from the high that we reached back in August, September timeframe. So I've already forgotten about when the peak was. Um, so that's, that's the average of 12, about a 12 and a half percent decline, 121 day period. And it usually get this, the average period of time from the peak down to the trough of a correction in that scenario is 87 days. But the recovery happens very quickly. The recovery typically happens in about a third of the time that it took for the market to decline. Another reason why it's really difficult to try to time the market. Two issues. Number one, the best trading days on the upside typically come right after the worst trading days. And number two, the rally from the bottom back up to the peak of where we were comes so much faster than that slow, painful decline back to the bottom. So if you miss out on just even a few days of that rally snap back up to the top, you're done. Your, your returns are going to look awful. So stop trying to do that. Stop trying to outguess it. Stop trying to pay money for some sort of a magic plan to help you go all in and go all out. It's just not going to work for you, especially in retirement when you need those dividends and interest. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Talk about retirement, talk about investing, talk about Social Security. And the new laws that are kicking in at this time, things that we need to be aware of. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, good morning, Rob. Doing well. It's nice to be back with you. Uh, you're always very kind and right on cue. Um, the markets, are we going to lose the Santa Claus rally this year in December? Is it not going to happen? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's going to be kind of one of those game time decisions as to what what really happens with the Santa Claus rally. I mean, to get somewhat technical with you, it's a period that measures the last uh, the performance of the market over the last five trading days and the and the first two trading days of of, of the new year. So, uh, I think when we say you know we're going to get a Santa Claus rally, a lot of people think of it in terms of you know how is the month of December going to shake out. Uh, obviously, we have not seen Santa Claus show up yet. Um, He's certainly not taking visitors, and uh, and you, you've seen some broad-based, you know, declines for um, many sectors, and certainly for for the um, for the broader market. Uh, it's been somewhat surprising, obviously, uh, given the uh, the hopes that have been built up. Uh, out of a rally that took place a few weeks ago, but certainly knowing that it's somewhat out of char- character for the uh, for seasonal norms. How about end of the year rally? Uh, if we're not going <laughs> to comment on 
Santa Claus per se, and yeah. we're going to defer until it happens or not. But December's turning out kind of negative, and October was, and November was kind of wonky on both sides of the fence. Um, are we in a correction? Or are we starting to look like a correction? Are we starting to look like it's just getting ugly out there? Um, yeah, well, I mean, there's obviously been a, a, a large number of stocks that are, are certainly well into a correction already. Um, you know, we look okay. at things, and when you look at things from the, from the index level, um, you know, you're on the cusp of it or just past that, you know, the 10% threshold that's typically defined as a as a corrective period. Um, so, you know, we you know, what I put on, I pointed out in my big picture column this past week was really is that while you're hearing a lot of uh, growth concerns come to the surface right now in terms of the narrative that you're seeing reported in the press and talked about on business channels like CNBC and Bloomberg, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, these growth concerns have been manifesting themselves in the stock market for, well, really the entire year, um, you know, we saw the uh, the home builders basically peak in January. Uh, the auto stocks, you know, not long thereafter, uh, followed by you know the semiconductors, and then eventually the Russell 2000, uh, as well as the Dow Transports. Uh, so, um, you know, so these concerns have been festering and been building up throughout the year, and they're finally hitting the surface here now, knowing that uh, we're kind of at a crossroads as it relates to the uh, U.S. China trade discussions, um, as well as the, the changeover to a new Congress in 2019 that's going to be, you know, uh, divided uh, Congress. Um, and, of course, you have the, you know, uncertainty brewing about what the Federal Reserve is going to do with interest rates. And, and then on top of it, you do have, you know, incoming data that's starting to uh, suggest that, uh, you know, growth is slowing. And uh, that's true both domestically and, uh, and, and in terms of foreign economies. And so, you have a market that's coming to grips with this idea that, uh, you know, we're certainly on pace for a slower period of growth uh, in the year ahead, and that relates not just to economic growth, but also to earnings growth. And so it's struggling to figure out just how much it's willing to pay for every dollar of earnings in a slower growth environment. Changing the topic to, I guess, from market corrections and Santa Claus rallies and market moves up and downs. How about the economy? Are, are you seeing any evidence there? You just talked a little bit about housing. You just talked a little bit about autos. The jobs don't seem to be showing that flashing recession signal yet. Do you think that they will in the near future? Because, like you said, some stocks have corrected. Um, so some stocks are saying that, yeah, we kind of feel like it's coming. Maybe I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but Mm -hmm. something's just not jiving with the economy at this point in time, or maybe it is. Well, I think you know what you've got coming in are really is just a, a an economy that's uh, moderating. Really, um, okay. you know, we're not seeing you know major downturns by any means. I mean, you have you know you know auto sales still running at an annualized rate of about 17 million units, which you know uh, most years would be good, regarded as pretty darn good. Um, but the fact is is that you're not seeing any really acceleration in those um, in that annualized sales rate, and so you've seen more of a moderation, and you're starting to hear more commentary in terms of how higher prices and rising interest rates are making it you know, uh, less affordable to, you know, to buy some of these more expensive vehicles. And, and that same logic you know, carries over to the housing market as well. Uh, so you're seeing things soften somewhat, right? And so uh, it's just enough to uh, create some concerns as, as you look into 2019 and, and you start 
you know, uh, from the stock market standpoint anyway, start to be concerned about difficult earnings comparisons for, for many companies that certainly uh, benefited greatly from the tailwind of the fiscal uh, stimulus plan this year coming into, into fruition, uh, as well as the uh, cut to individual tax rates that certainly helped drive uh, higher levels of discretionary spending in 2018. And so, so and that's really, you know, you know, one of the main roadblocks right now is just trying to, you know, the stock market to get its mind around where earnings growth is going to settle in 2019. You know, still have expectations for modest growth next year, um, but, uh, you know, some reservations that perhaps they're subject to downward revision. And knowing that, uh, you have a market that right now is trading at what looks to be a reasonable multiple of about 15 times forward 12-month earnings. Uh, but if you have a, uh, a dynamic earnings estimate uh, that could be subject to downward revision, uh, the confidence in that quote-unquote value uh, is not there yet. And so I think that's why you continue to see these, uh, these rallies get sold into as we uh, move toward 2019. Is there anything that's concerning you or maybe upping your mood, uh, brightening your day on 2019? Like, Maybe this is healthy to let some steam out of the markets. That's that's where I'm going at with this. Well, I think that that's true, Rob. I mean, you know, uh, the market. Had, let's not forget. I mean, the market had a great run, you know, through September. Yeah, that's fair, right? Yeah. No yeah, one yeah. was really, you know, talking at all about or any concerns about Brexit. Uh, you know, back at that time, you know, uh, the fact that the Fed was raising interest rates was regarded as a positive thing because it was a show of confidence in the economy, uh, and you can, you know, feel good about that because that means earnings growth should be picking up. Uh, you know, there are some expectations that you get some resolution to, to these trade issues with China. Uh, and obviously, that hasn't happened, right? And so, uh, and knowing that you're, like I mentioned before, running up against tougher comparisons in 2019, you know, the stock market has obviously, you know, taken a few steps back here uh, as it contemplates a future with a slower pace of economic growth. Um, but I think to your point is that we're now caught up in a in a pretty good vortex of negativity right now. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of silver linings to a number of these important issues. And that excessive negativity is one of the ingredients, I think, to help establish at least a tradable bottom. Uh, and so if you can actually get some truly positive developments as it relates to the rate path, uh, trade developments, um, and the economy, uh, you could see the market you know, turn around and, and do, uh, do quite well over the near term. Is there anything that you're working on for your other columns that you do at briefing.com, the week in review, per se, um, at the big picture, look, taking a look? Any data? Like, are you worried about inflation? What are you working on right now? Well, um, you, one of the things I'll be working on is uh, usually around this time of year, um, and we obviously have the uh, FOMC meeting coming up next week, but usually around this time of year, I, I preview uh, what the FOMC is going to look like in 2019, uh, and that revolves around who these incoming voting members are going to be. And it, it looks like right now, you know, have a uh, incoming body of, of Fed presidents that might skew a little bit more to the dovish side, uh, okay. knowing that... Uh, St. Louis Fed President Buller is coming in, as is Chicago Fed President Evans. Do you look at things like Tesla on 60 Minutes and scratch your head and say, poor GM, poor Ford? Um, I look at some of the stocks that my father owned, and I kind of go, you know, poor GE. 
Um, is there any like waxing poetic on some of the stocks of, of yesteryear as you kind of exit 2018 and head in 2019? Uh, gosh, I, you know, I, I, you know, I look at an interview like that and I sometimes wonder is like, it, it's, it's, uh, sometimes, you know, you hear a lot about Elon Musk's creative genius, but you also have to worry about some of just some erratic thinking, frankly. <laughs> and sure. So, uh, you know, when you think about uh, his position, you know, at that company and that company's competitive position within the overall auto industry, I think GM and Ford are still in good shape because they're obviously going to be playing some catch up to Tesla in terms of, I think, their, you know, electric vehicle capability. And once they get that figured out, um, you know, Tesla will have some bigger uh, competitive issues to tackle. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks very much, Mr. O'Hare. You can find Mr. O'Hare, Patrick O'Hare, at briefing.com, like I do each and every morning with his page one. By the end of the week, he does a big picture column, which I always enjoy because it's got a lot of graphs and a lot of data and a lot of thought-provoking ideas. Um, I love this market, and it's clear that his work is solid. You can find him at briefing.com for both international and domestic issues on Stockmarker. That's uh, briefing.com. I'm Rob Black. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. We're kind of closing the year on 2018 and pushing towards 2019. What do we do with this market? I'm not saying it's frustrating because that would make it sound incorrect, but it seems to have big moves, and the media seems to notice it. But the big moves aren't necessarily in percentage terms. They're in number terms, and as we get older and the market gets bigger, those numbers don't have as much power. Triple digits used to mean something crazy. Now it takes 300 or 400 to kind of equal volatile. Whereas 100 points used to be like, whoa, what happened on the market today? It was down 100. So we're dealing with that. We're dealing with a lot of issues. Um, Stocks are rallying on signals of trade talk advances. Trump sent out a tweet that was, I would say, positive on trade. It is surreal. I heard a comedian bring this up yesterday that it seems odd that the president's communicating with the nation in 130 characters. The flight of the nation, the path of the nation, the direction of the nation, the news of the nation. Um, But it does seem a little bit more, how shall we say, on a regular basis than the old State of the Union addresses that television brought us, right? So Tuesday morning, trash day for me. But in Beijing time, China's vice premier and the U.S. Secretary, U.S. Treasury Secretary, chit-chatted via phone to discuss roadmap for the next stage of trade talks. And this is a massive press release. Does it mean trade talks are done? No. It means that it's a press release. Does it mean that they won't get done? No. Um, but Donald J. Trump, at the real Donald Trump, said very productive conversations going on with China. Watch for some important announcements. Um, Okay. It's tough for me to get on the radio and say, okay, watch for some important announcements coming. It just doesn't sound right. CBS is holding its annual shareholder meeting in New York City 
today after rescheduling the event twice due to Leslie Moonves, chairman and CEO, former chairman and CEO. The company most recently reported quarterly results at the beginning of November and beat expectations, but they're having a problem lining up this media event because Les Moonves keeps coming up in the news, and it's not for good reasons for CBS. Elsewhere out there, and there's a lot of stories out there today um, as far as like uh, big picture stuff. No, there's not a lot of economic data for us to drill down into. Um, so a lot of the headlines are like CBS is delaying their annual shareholder meeting. You know, shareholder meetings are kind of brutal. Sometimes people get up and go, like at an Apple event, Tim Cook, why haven't you invented a talking phone? And he's like, we, we have Siri. We have a talking phone. Okay, well, I'll sit back down. So people get up and like start screaming questions. And CBS doesn't really want any of that. Um, so that's out there. Uh, but shareholder meetings are something if you can ever get a chance to go to, you should. It's almost like if you ever get a chance to vote, you should. Uh, you should, certainly shouldn't miss it. Warren Buffett is the king of investing, and we're going to pay attention to his fourth quarter early fourth quarter earnings call um, coming up. Will he say that he owns shares of Apple, or is he sold shares of Apple? Is he down on shares of Apple? What will he say? <clears throat> he tends to be a pretty do a pretty good job of disclosing. And if you followed Warren Buffett, you may not do as well as Warren Buffett because he discloses 30 days after the fact. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Coca-Cola, American Express, um, all his largest holdings, Apple, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Coca-Cola, American Express, not having a good quarter. So those five stocks have fallen, you know, 18 plus billion dollars. Um, so you look at Apple and they've gone from a trillion to $800 billion market cap and you start going, okay, I wonder how Warren's doing. I wonder like what he's going to say. I wonder if he's buying, I wonder if he's selling because again, you kind of get, you can kind of, uh, not, I'm not going to say gain an advantage, but he's not, he's not, it's not like following an eighth grade class of of eighth graders who are buying and selling stocks. It's not crazy what he says, you know? I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there, seeing if it sticks, right? Um, Google hired today, and Google's in the news a lot for the wrong reasons these days. Their employees don't like the, uh, Google's management dealing with China's government. They're like, why are you dealing with those people? Um, they're not very nice people. Google's ma- uh, management is having a problem with employees talking about sexual harassment issues at work. So Google's in the news today, and it's not necessarily bad news. The stock is actually moving higher. But they, too, are managing kind of, I want to say a crisis. Facebook is in a crisis. Apple's in China crisis. The market, like, there's something going on there, right? Um, And then there's a, a tie to China, and China wants to tell Canada, hey, you can't extradite our citizens to america there's it's kind of a crisis out there but at the same time it feels like it's more the norm i'm rob black talking all things financial money investing and more find me online at rob black show twitter rob black show youtube rob black show 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.